at the well we're so happy you joined us today um today we have a really special treat for your eyes and ears we have um a woman who has been walking with the lord for many many years has raised great christ-loving children has raised a lot of children that weren't her own because she is a teacher she was my teacher whenever i was a senior in high school and our guest today is miss fran legban i'll let her introduce herself but just to start us off, we're so honored that you've chosen to come and share your story here for women, not only in the United States, but also all across the world. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, sweet Caroline. I'm a, one of the biggest Pino fans in the world. So I worked for many years with uh, Caroline's mother, Kim, and just love them both so much, just as fellow Christians and women and leaders. And Kim as a teacher and really Caroline as a teacher, even though she was my student, I learned probably more from her writing on East of Eden than I've learned from any other student who's written about that book. So I teach at Trinity Christian Academy. I'm married happily to Scott and we have four grown children and the Pinos and the leg bands are kind of parallel families. So we, even though we're a little older than they are, um, we have kind of a similar family experience, big home, big happy home, enjoyed watching our kids perform and play and learn together at the school. It was kind of our village together as, as families. And so, yeah, my heart is for students and teachers and really for women. I love um, shepherding women and teaching them God's word. And as I learn from them as well. So these these two ladies are big teachers in my life as well. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Fran. It's really an honor to have you here. You know, you were my teacher. <laughs> you taught me how to teach and how to teach from a biblical worldview. A role model is what you were to me in the classroom and out of the classroom. Because you're right, our, our family situations are parallel and I'm about four years behind you. So I had the great privilege of watching you mm-hmm. and I'm still watching you how you do this thing called parenting. <laughs> so, um, and I appreciate most of all, just your friendship, just your sweetheart, your open heart and willingness to just listen <laughs> to all the ranting and raving and everything. You're just, you're kind, you're, you're compassionate. And obviously I'm a big fan. So one of the things that I, I know about you after having almost 15 years of getting to see you on a daily basis is that you are somebody who is constantly learning from the Lord. And I appreciate that about you. So will you share with us what, what has God been teaching you lately? Well, that's one of my favorite questions. I like to ask people that. So I guess turnabout is fair play. I, I like the question because it make it assumes that you are learning something from the Lord all the time which we need to be. And since our God is alive and speaks, um, it's up to us to listen. And so, you know, I, I always have a book on the side table going in addition to scripture and, you know, of course, stuff for school that I'm learning. And so a book that has really kind of reoriented my thinking lately about the Lord, and it causes me to think deeply about who he is and to hear from him in some kind of new ways. This is a book by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. I'm I don't know if you've heard it, but those um, two words are how Jesus describes his own heart toward us. 
that he has a heart that is gentle toward us, that's compassionate, um, and that he is humble in heart. And this is from the passage where he says, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so the author of this book just digs into scripture and a lot of the Puritan writers and stuff like that. That sounds kind of cardboardy, maybe dry, not as, um, I don't know, exciting. It's just been amazing to me to think about the Lord's heart for us lately. So I think a specific thing lately that the Lord has personally told me, and in addition to, to some of the good things out of that book, you know, when we go through hard times, we know the Lord is with us and I have a way of picturing waiting on the Lord when I'm in a hard time. And it comes from an experience that I had when my youngest child, Brandon, who's um, buddies with Pino kids, when he was little, he was three years old and he couldn't swim. And we were at a family camp in Colorado and the three older siblings went tearing off for the pool and all jumped in. They could all swim. And he went tearing off behind him and jumped into the pool and he did not have on his water wings. And I was lagging behind. Scott and I were carrying all the stuff as usual. And I see him way in the distance, go over the edge into the pool. And so I drop the stuff and I run. And I get up to the edge of the pool and I see him. He is not flailing. He is not in distress. He is literally underwater with his big blue eyes looking up, just waiting for me to come to the edge of the pool and jump in and get him out. Like he was like, so at peace, you know, not distressed. And so I've used that picture in my own life for many years to think, well, I'm in the pool. And I don't see him, but I'm just going to wait right here because I know he's coming. He's not going to let me drown in this trial. And so I think it's a pretty good picture. And I've used it for a long time. But the Lord recently corrected it. So um, in this little kind of one of the current trials that I'm living through, I, you know, went back to my swimming pool metaphor where, you know, we're just waiting on you, Lord. And if you don't come, eventually we're going to run out of air and we're going to drown. So you are faithful. You will always come for us. You're ever present. And if I don't see you right now, I know you're just dashing to the edge of the pool. You know, the Lord doesn't speak to me like audibly, but he impressed upon my spirit. Your picture is wrong. I want to give you a new picture. And so he took me to Psalm 23 and he said, you're not underwater waiting for me. You're actually sitting at a table that I have prepared for you. I've prepared every dish on this table. I prepared my word for you. I prepared my presence for you. I prepared all the things. And you are now feasting, sister, in the presence of your enemies. There may be a war raging all around, but you are sitting at a sumptuous feast in my presence. And so that's what I've been learning lately. That even when things seem to be going apart, I'm not in danger of drowning. He is there, but I'm actually feasting. There's something about trials that actually give us um, more of the Lord to chew on, more of the Lord to feed upon. And that's why we can rejoice, not in the trial, but in the closeness. I had never thought of Psalm 23 that way. That's beautiful. I hadn't either. You know, the Lord, the Lord is clever that way. Well, and that's a different, you know, it's a different way of looking at Psalm 23 than, than I've heard, heard that passage explained in that way. If you don't mind sharing, what is one of the trials that you're going right now? And maybe even a victory 
that you can see even in the midst of that trial. It's it's funny. I shared it with you when you were here um, filling in for Diane um, a little while back. And the Lord really used your words to me to be very encouraging. Um, and just, you know, from the Lord's mouth to to you, to, through your mouth to me kind of thing. It was a really sweet relay. And my husband is currently between jobs. That's my optimistic way of putting that. He has worked for a company for 21 years, and then his uh, job evaporated at a certain age. And so they told him that he could apply for this position again if he would like to move to Ireland, where the company is located. It really was tempting for a second, but not really. Um, <laughs> so he, uh, I have watched him struggle with that reality. And, you know, honestly, I'd rather struggle myself than watch someone I love struggle. And I know, you know, as mothers, we talked a lot about when our kids would struggle, how hard that was for us because we couldn't step into our kids' bodies and like take the blow for them or, or fix it in any way half the time. But man, when you see your husband really get discouraged about his worth and all the things, um, that's been hard. That's been hard to, you know, stay upbeat and try to, you know, bring in truth and encouragement as I could. But even though the trial isn't over yet, he's not employed yet. Watching what the Lord is doing with him spiritually during this time is exactly what you predicted, Kim. You shared with me about your dad and how um, in a transition that he made in his life, the Lord really used it to put him on a path to building the kingdom in a way that was very powerful. And so I'm just living in expectation and I have ever since you've said that. And so that's the victory that even though we don't know how it's going to work out, um, we're not underwater. We are learning new things of the Lord that we could not know if we were not depending on him for provision. And he has provided like we, we're planning a wedding. We're going to throw this wedding and you know what? It's going to work out. The Lord has provided. He's always been faithful and he will continue to be faithful and he's clever and creative. So it may not be the way I think it's going to be, um, but we don't go without because he's always with us. And so, yeah, the, the struggle is just, I think, watching Scott learn what it means to not be self-reliant, but God-reliant. And so it's really been a victory, a victory season. So we would covet your prayers for that provision of a job that we know God will provide, um, but also just thanking the Lord that we know more of Him right now than we knew before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something I think I've, in a, in a different way, been learning too. I think when I think back on uh, my time at home before I moved to college, it was really difficult for me to see myself in anyone that I knew and any older people. I just, I always felt like I was uh, different and not necessarily in the way of um, different looks wise or, or anything like that, but just different in the heart. And it, um, it really wasn't until I took your class and was able to sit and learn from you that I saw myself in portions of you just things you were saying about you'd rather hurt yourself rather than see somebody that you love hurting and and just other things, the way in which you uh, see that picture and you envision God's rescue, the way you envision the table. That's the way my brain thinks too. And, and it's always really encouraging to hear you speak. I, I realize now how much I miss it because oh. you you really are speaking my language and and that's a huge blessing. 
I actually wrote in my journal today uh, something that reminded me of what you said you were so blessed that Scott's learning. I said, I know that it's important to me for fight for re- to fight for relationships, but the gravity at which I hold them completely affects my mind, my body, my heart. When there's a rift in an important relationship, I have lost control. And that was a big realization for me this morning. <laughs> I literally wrote that this morning. But wow. there was a challenge that mom gave us in Bible study that we have weekly to say, what is the thing at which you are holding too much comfort in that is not allowing you to live a sent life? You know, in Isaiah, he talks about, here I am, God send me. I've been faced with the ugly truth of my sin. I have seen the angel's face and I know now how broken I am. So here I am, send me. And she encouraged us to pray about this uh, this week. And that was really encouraging to me that you said that. It's always encouraging to hear for me that others are going through the same trial that I am (laughs) and learning the same things that I am. Um, And like I said, you've taught me so much about literature and fed that part of my soul, but also so much about life. I want to know who in your life has been a mentor to you and what maybe is kind of the most important takeaway that you can think of from that person. I mean, of course, my mother, you know, mothers are built-in mentors. Some of them do a better job of it than others. Some of them are more uh, purposeful in their mentoring. My mom's strength was was really important to me. But when I when I think of a female mentor, someone kind of set aside in my life as a mentor, I I think about, and this is kind of a funny train, but it's my mother's best friend's mother. And uh, it was her husband after whom we named Brandon. So I called her sweetie because I met her when I was five. And She's like, oh, come here to me, sweetie. And every time she spoke to me, she called me sweetie. So I just as a child thought that's what we were going to call each other. Like she was sweetie and I was sweetie. And so it just stuck. And so she didn't call me sweetie, but I I called her sweetie. And that will be my grandmother name. I'm claiming that on the air. So I've been in person. Not that anybody's <laughs> giving me any grandchildren yet, but um, I'll be sweetie. And we think Scott will be salty. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. He doesn't like that, but I think it fits. So, um, sweetie was, she grew up on a farm in Louisiana and I spent three summers with her and would go back to see her my whole life. And I spoke at her funeral. She was one of those women in my life who is a monument to the grace of God in my Mm -hmm. life. And so her graciousness no matter what I was going through, when I was a, a rebel, like I was running so hard from the Lord, it made Jonah look like uh, nothing. Okay. So I, from about mm, 20 to about 22, I was living the prodigal lifestyle. I was angry at the Lord. I was figuring all out myself. I was just living in the far country you know, spiritually speaking and physically, a lot of ways. And I would still go visit sweetie. And no matter how I was doing, whether I was walking with the Lord, whether I was in full out rebellion, no matter what, she treated me the same. She loved me. She saw through all that. She treated like she saw me. And she was the person that made me understand why Jesus was a friend to sinners. Like, 
the the drug dealers and the prostitutes and the people who were like me, the rebels, actually were drawn toward him, not because he like prompted them to sin more, but because he accepted them and he loved them. And that sort of grace changes you. It makes you think that there is something more important to life than just your own pleasure or your own wrath or whatever it is that's, you know, prompting you to behave the way you're behaving. But she saw the real me, I felt like. And so that has has changed the way I treat people. It changed the way I parented, not always, but that was my heart to see my children and not just try to shape them into little widgets that needed to do the things to get the awards or whatever, because I'm kind of success oriented. Sweetie, that sort of mentoring cut all through that. She taught me what beauty was. She could look at cabbage boiling on a stove in a glass pot and say, stop, look at that. And I was like, what, is it on fire? And she's like, no, it's so beautiful. And so just stopping and, and seeing life and feeling it and seeing people That's what I learned from her. I had precious few mentors, really. I mean, a lot of my friends, like your mother, mentored me, but it wasn't a formal kind of thing. So my friendships were good with that. But I've been largely mentored by the dead. I have been mentored by writers. C.S. Lewis, a huge mentor in my life. Remember, Caroline, how I called it our high council. You know, we have have these people on our high council, like living and dead people who speak into our lives. So yeah, those are my mentor stories. Wow. That's beautiful. I just want to let you know a word of encouragement that as you were saying that, it reminded me of the grace you showed me in that time when I needed it. What what you said, the way you described it as a monument to your faith, that was kind of a turning point for me. And I was just talking to my best friend, telling her about the guest we were about to have on the podcast. And I just said, you know, this woman was so eloquently and so uh, gracefully hiding the grace that she was giving me as to not make me feel like I was, you know, getting a handout or something like that. And the generosity of grace like that is just beautiful. It really is. So I thank you for that. And I just want to encourage you to say that, um, we are the legacy of the people that mentor us. And so I think you beautifully have done that. And I'm sure for many, many other girls who sat in your classroom and experienced, and boys, and experienced that, I'm sure they felt it too. So last question we had was asking about what you would encourage people who are maybe younger in their faith, younger in age. We like to make the distinction on here that you don't necessarily have to be younger in age to be younger in faith, what encouragement would you give to younger women who maybe already have a mentor or are looking for one and are in a stage of life they just need to be spoken into? Your questions are really good. Um, Well, I I had what I wanted to say to you, and then I really feel like the Lord just shifted it. And so I'm going to say what he he wanted me to say, I think. And I said, are you sure, Lord? Because that's kind of hard to understand. Maybe he's like, trust me. So here's what I would say to the the ladies, young and middle and old. And it's what the Lord's been saying to me. And I don't know, Caroline, hang on. If you remember this little sign that's in my room, be the unseen, that is what I would say. And that it sounds all mysterious and philosophical, but it comes from 2 Corinthians 4.18, 
which reads this way. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so um, what I would encourage the women to think about, especially in our image laden world, our world that is so driven by the senses, particularly sight, is that there's so much more happening um, that has real merit and eternal worth that we'll never see with our eyeballs. You know, I, I think I mentioned in class sometimes I would talk about how reality is a split screen where there's everything we see in front of us, but there's a whole other reality, a spiritual reality that's going on all around us. And and I just think that the older I get, the more I realize it's feeding people who are hungry for the Lord that is doing something fruitful that will last. And that's what you've been talking about. And, and the work that you feel called to do is, is creating whatever it is, whatever product it is or service that actually feeds people's souls. That is the kind of fruitfulness that, that we all want in our lives, whether it's diapering a little baby at home, you know, we feel like how in the world is taking care of this baby participating in the unseen, invisible spiritual realm. You're actually taking care of a body that houses an eternal soul. So the way you diaper that baby has eternal consequences. The way you go to class in Austin has eternal consequences for those eternal souls that you pass by on your way. That professor who teaches you how you respond to that person is seeing the unseen. It's remembering that we are not just our bodies, we are housed in really wonderful bodies, um, but there's so much more to life than just imagery, you know, and, and it's beautiful and it catches our attention, but I think it also distracts us from, you know, gentle spirits and we can be gentle and loud. You know, I don't like that gentle and quiet stuff. Like some people are gentle and quiet, but you can also be gentle and hilarious. You can be gentle and gracious and funny and all those things, those unseen qualities, I think, um, I would just tell women to, you know, foster those things and look for it. Look, see the unseen. It sounds like a paradox, but you have to train your eyes to look for what's really going on here, not just what is on the surface. So second Corinthians four eighteen. let's fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Brian, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much for watching or listening to this episode. Right now, our ministry is doing work in both the United States and in Cuba. If you'd like to find out more about our Mercy Ministry or hear stories from our Words from the Well blog, you can visit the link in our show notes. You can also find us on Instagram at Well Women's Ministry for updates on everything we have going on. We hope you have a blessed week and join us next week for our next conversation at the Well. Surely goodness, surely